morning. Welcome to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. Going to be doing kind of a local follow-up to a couple interviews that I did last year. Uh, if everyone recalls, I did a two-part show on mold with uh, actually probably the foremost expert on mold and mold disorders, Dr. Shoemaker out of Maryland, who had written a couple books on the topic. Decided to go more in a local direction. Uh, a Dr. Ann Carson out of the uh, Kennett Square area, general practitioner, but one of her specialties is mold, mold disorders, people who don't understand they might have mold poisoning. I've also brought back my friend Bill Young from Mold and More, who obviously understands these procedures, and uh, Bill's an expert on this topic. Now, the reason for doing it again the downloads that I have gotten from Dr. Shoemaker's uh, two interviews just blow the charts. And I thought, okay, let's do a second one, but more local to where I'm at here in Pennsylvania. But I know my audience will listen, will understand that this goes all the way out. doesn't matter where you're listening from. This affects everyone. So I wanted to get a different take. And I believe Dr. Carson Corson, excuse me, will take us in that direction. Doctor, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you for understanding the other week when I had to cancel for my dream interpreter. So I appreciate that. I, obviously, not every show is serious. But I want to ask you now, you, start, you, know, you are a general practitioner, correct? I want to make sure of that. Yes. I, uh, most of my career, I've been board certified in family medicine. I also am board certified in integrative holistic medicine. Um, the first half of my career, I practiced emergency medicine, and the second half of my career, I've been taking care of chronic illness. So I've been a primary care provider for now uh, almost 34 years. Okay, great. So you, you've got a lot of experience in different areas. I like the holistic part big time because I believe you need a combination of modern medicine along with the holistic approach. I don't think it hurts to do that. I actually think it's very positive. With mold in particular... Why in that direction? Did you encounter some patients that have come in with mold symptoms and so forth? And if so, could you give us the symptoms that you saw that led you definitely to believe the person was dealing with a mold issue? Certainly. Well, I became involved, as uh, a lot of doctors do, because of personal experience. Um, my son and I nearly died in a moldy house. It was in 2003 that I learned that my son was very sick with tick-borne diseases, and it was 2004 that I learned that mold was such an issue. So I have been taking care of a combination of patients who have multiple etiologies for their chronic illness. Uh, they have chronic infections, they have chronic mold and other toxin exposures, as well as a myriad of other factors that I look at in my patient population. Um, and then when I looked back, I realized that I had grown up in moldy houses and that mold is a huge factor in the vast majority of my patients' illnesses. Interesting. Throughout the years, it's just been consistently a problem. Go ahead, Bill. You got, I, I can see your mind's working. I know you well enough now over the last few years. Go ahead. Well, yeah, um, I think Anne's really... Um, Around here, one of the people that uh, that people should who are experiencing these problems should go to. Um, th it's difficult to find a physician that 
will recognize the symptoms because they're so disparate. Um, it's not something where you can just look at a diagnostic chart and say, oh, you've got this and we can rule this out because the symptoms themselves are so unusual. Now, doctor, give me a classic symptom. Give me one or two classic symptoms, something <laughs> that I, I know, I know I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> narrowing it, but I want to start from that point. A couple classic symptoms of an adult first. Well, unrelenting fatigue, poor aerobic exercise tolerance, hmm. either a poor or a voracious appetite with either weight gain or loss, hmm. joint pain, short-term memory loss, sleep disturbance, unremitting uh, pain, uh, tendonitis, constant gastrointestinal upset with shifting food allergies, chronic sinusitis, bronchitis, feeling sick all the time, in addition to anxiety, anger, rage, depression, obsessiveness. Children can become impulsive, oppositional, over-emotional, and be diagnosed with ADD because of their decline in school performance. And that's just the beginning of the list. Interesting. So we're not talking just in the physical body sense here. We're talking in the actual brain, the actual emotional issues that can be. So this can look like a lot of different types of illnesses when the person first comes in the door, correct? It can look like a purely psychiatric illness, yes. There you go. With the symptoms, do the people, I mean, well, well then I'll step back for a second because this is interesting to me. You have developed an expertise in this, obviously, over the years. What specific questions do you ask if you suspect there might be a mold issue, or do you just go right for specific questions and say, look, let's just eliminate this off the top? Well, I have a very special type of practice so that people often wait many months to a year to see me as a new patient, which is unfortunate. I wish other doctors would take up the baton and then people could be served and treated and their suffering relieved a lot earlier. But by the time people get to me, they've often seen so many other doctors that I have to take a very extensive initial history, and that's one of the reasons the first appointment is three to four hours long. So part of my normal review of systems and history taking is I ask them about all of the homes they've ever lived in, and I ask them about water intrusion, musty smells, uh, does cardboard mold in the basement? Um, have they had any plumbing leaks ever? Has the roof ever leaked? Have they had water intrusion with bad storms? Is there any drainage problems? And the list goes on and on because you have to make sure that people aren't being exposed not only in their homes, but also in their workplaces, in their schools, in their automobiles. Bill, you got a question there on that? Um, no, I actually was going to say, and good morning, Ann. I haven't I'm seeing you in a couple of days, but um, also in that you're asking those questions, are there specific tests that you can run that would give you uh, solid data that there's definitely a problem with either mold or toxins from some other um, pathogen? Well, there's two ways to go about that. The first is to test the patient, and the second is to test the environment that you're worried about. You can talk about testing the environment because it's so important to get someone that knows what they're doing because there's so many people that are giving, you know, spurious test results, and there's a lot of controversy about mold testing. I'll let Bill handle that. Mm -hmm. But for the patient, 
I will test inflammatory cytokines, the same ones that Richie Shoemaker has talked about. I learned about Richie Shoemaker uh, even before the uh, publishing of his first book, Mold Warriors. Um, and I have uh, you know, followed his work throughout all of the years. Um, and I look at a lot of the inflammatory cytokines that he looks at, as well as I look at urinary mycotoxins. There are two labs currently that I use for that. I use the real-time laboratories. They only give you three mycotoxins, but they give you the quantity, not just yes or no, but they also give you the amount that you have in the urine. Um, but I also do a lab called BioTrek, uh, which gives you seven different toxins. Um, I generally will test urine, and I can often have people uh, take some um, nutritional supplements, which will encourage the body to dump the toxins, uh, and then we check the urine and the inflammatory cytokines. Um, so that's the initial start, and often I will find evidence of increased inflammation in the body, and that's one of the ways the mold toxins cause damage to the nervous system, the respiratory system, and the whole immune system that starts from the pineal body and hypothalamus in the brain over time. Well, now, doctor, you said that you grew up uh, in a toxic home, something I would assume you learned later. Do you... Can you look back and see any effects that you might have been experiencing back in your childhood, going into your teens? Can you recall anything now that sticks out in your mind? I think the biggest thing was being fatigued. And when I was really small, I was sick a lot in the first in elementary school. And then I never could get a really good aerobic exercise tolerance in sports. Mm. I played sports in high school, but I was always a junior varsity level. I could never get the physical endurance. I could never build that. And that is, when I look back now, are um, the, uh, I think, the biggest symptoms that I had at that time. <laughs> so fifth grade, I put a piece of Stroman's white bread in the basement to grow penicillin. <laughs> that was my fifth grade <laughs> experiment. I mean, it was an old farmhouse. And, and you know, now I love uh, older houses better because you can clean them better <laughs> and you can remediate them really spark and clean. It's the new construction materials, which are problematic, and I'm sure we'll get to that oh, later yeah. in the hour. Okay. Why don't we let Bill talk about the mold testing itself? Oh, well, one second. We're going to roll into the break, and I want to come back to that, give uh, Fred here a chance, and we okay. can recoup there. You are listening to Life on Eddie. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my special guest, Dr. Ann Corson. She is a general practitioner, but also an expert on mold, mold disorders. Bill Young, he is the founder of Mold and More, and we're discussing mold issues. We'll be right back. And it is. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Dr. Ann Corson. She is an expert on mold, mold disorders. I have Bill Young from Mold and More. And we're going to get in now into some of the technical areas. But before I do that, doctor, can you give us your contact information, please? Your website, if you have one, and a phone number. I know you said you're a year, year and a half before a new patient can get to you. But I think it's important that people know there are doctors like you out there. There is hope to get this situation straightened out. Well, my office is at uh, in McFarland Road, 404 McFarland Road uh, in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania. Uh, and my office phone number is 610-444-8901. There are a, 
other places where you can find mold doctors, uh, there are doctors from the American Academy of Environmental Medicine. If you just Google American Academy of Environmental Medicine, they do treat mold. There are um, environmental doctors, um, I know, in other parts of the greater Philadelphia area as well as in New York. Um, they may not have the same ideas as Dr. Shoemaker, but they also are trained and they successfully do treat mold patients. So I think if you educate yourself a little bit, um, you'll be able to find doctors uh, in addition to me. Interesting. Bill, now you had something before we took the break. Please take, take it there. Well, Ann mentioned uh, environmental testing, and uh, there's a variety of things that we can do to test the individual's environment to find out if there is a mold issue. Um, I should say the very first thing we need to do and any time someone calls us is we do a visual inspection because the visual inspection actually gives you a lot of data. Uh, we take a look at uh, in environmental relative humidity levels. We test the structural pieces for moisture. Uh, mold is just a symptom of excessive moisture in a building, so a water-damaged building is undoubtedly going to be producing some mold uh, someplace. And then we can, we can do a variety of testing. If there's something visible, we can take a tape lift or we can take a bulk sample. We can actually take a piece of material and send that to the lab. That gives us an idea of the genus, at least, of the mold, not, not give us the species unless we ask for them to culture it, at which point it would give us the species level. Uh, and that can sometimes be important, especially for Dr. Corson, if she's working with a patient, knowing the species makes a difference. Um, for our purposes, it doesn't really matter. We simply treat the genus as, as the potential threat. So if it's Penicillium aspergillus types, we know that some Penicillium and some aspergillus molds produce toxins. If they're, expo if they're giving us those symptoms that she mentioned, then that's a good indicator that there's something going on. Um, most often, people will come in and do a spore trap sample. And what that is is you pull a specified volume of air across a small cassette that has a little sticky material on it that captures whatever particulates in the air. And that can give us an idea, again, of what it is that you may be breathing in. Some molds are a little bit of a problem with that. And then sometimes it depends also on the environmental conditions. One example is stachybotrys mold, which takes a lot of moisture to get it started, 80 90% moisture load to get it started and it's a very sticky mold, so it doesn't often aerosol. If it aerosols and we pick it up in a spore trap, it's usually because something's been disturbed somewhere along the line or the environment's gotten dry enough that it's now starting, it's released its spores, it's starting to try and, uh, starting to per perish and you're getting the hypha and, and other elements off of it and those things can be identified. Um, we can also do a mold volatile organic compound study, which Molds, like most biologicals, give off volatile organic compounds. We can pick that up. Uh, it's an, analyzed by another company that uh, uses a gas chromatograph, and it'll tell us not just the mold volatile organic compounds that are in your environment, but also the others. And I think that's something I hope we get into today, is the fact that it's not just the mold that's problematic. We're exposed to all kinds of hazardous vapors that we don't pay attention to because we buy them off the, off the shelf. And we don't think they're dangerous. Airborne toxins. Yeah. I mean, I, and I know, uh, you know, full disclosure here, you know, I, my background is in the environmental field for the most part doing business development, so I'm well aware 
of what you're talking about. You and I have teamed up on a few things, and we're moving forward on a couple other things. But I have to ask, uh, uh, kind of follow this, how did you and Dr. Corson connect? I mean, obviously, your background and what you do with Molden Moore and you guys going out, and you've made a name for yourself here in the southeastern Pennsylvania area of being able to handle mold issues extremely well. Uh, so how was that connection made between the two of you? <laughs> Actually, what happened was one of her clients, one of her patients, called us because they had a, a mold issue. They were very well aware they had a mold issue. She had all the biomarkers that said she was genetically predisposed to being bothered by that. Uh, we did a remediation for her, and I believe she passed our information on to Dr. Corson, and from there we connected. And we've worked on several projects. We've had a lot of her patients call uh, to have us come in and do an, an evaluation in their environment to determine what the source is of what they're experiencing. Now, I'm, of course, well aware of the, one of the products that you use, uh, Easy Decon. Uh, anyone wants to know more about Easy Decon beyond what we're going to talk about, you can go to my podcast site on podomatic.com, and you can find the two-part show that we did last year about Easy Decon. But I want to uh, uh, ask you, when you started the process of doing some work with Dr. Corson, did you introduce her to what the Easy Decon is, what it can do? We, we have discussed it because, um, because of her, both her patients and she had a building that, that needed remediation. So we took a look at that. And so we've discussed it a little bit about uh, the effectiveness and the, um, the efficacy of the, the product as well as the fact that it's biodegradable. So we're not leaving something behind. One of the things that happens with this, and you can confirm this, doctor, sometimes people who are exposed to mold and have mold physiological issues uh, also become sensitive to other chemicals. And they'll, they'll get a, uh, a reaction when they're in an environment where there are a lot of other chemicals being presented. And we've been able to use our product without having that kind of reaction on the part of clients. Doctor. When it comes to kids, uh, schools, I know here in our area, in the Philadelphia area, the Philadelphia School District has been cited, pointed out as exampled, example of a problem area in the area where this particular school district has mold issues. What do you see? Have, have you been to any schools? Have you had a chance to look around and get an idea of what is happening because these are kids, and there's also obviously adults there, the teachers, administrators. Do you think enough is being done to identify mold as a problem? No, but I have a lot of children who are damaged by the schools, um, and I meet a tremendous amount of resistance from um, school administrators all over the country, because, of course, my patients come from all over the place. Right. Um, and... Um, I, it's very sad, and so often the children are um, somehow sort of ostracized, and uh, the schools aren't really cleaned up. Although I write very strong letters, you know, that say, "Listen, 25% of the people that are, you know, in your school, working in your school, um, have problems." Oh, do we lose the doctor? Um, so it's very, very difficult uh, because no one wants to face the problem because the problem is so pervasive and it's expensive to fix it correctly and it must be done correctly. And one of the things I was so happy to have one of my patients uh, tell me about Bill Young and his business 
is that they do it correctly. Uh, it's very hard to really do proper remediation and to have somebody else out there that can help my patients actually fix their homes and actually help them remediate in a proper way is just invaluable to me. Um, I'm just so appreciative and I thank Bill. And I wanted to emphasize just one thing he said about stachybotrys. Um, stachybotrys is one of the most difficult molds, deadly molds for anybody, regardless of whether you're one of the ones who are really genetically susceptible to mold toxins. Um, and it's very difficult to find. Uh, in the job that Bill just did for me in uh, one of my father's properties, um, the whole ceiling of the kitchen was all stachybotrys, and the testing really wasn't very helpful. Even good testing that Bill did really wasn't helpful. And it was just because I had found trichothestines in my son's urine who tried to live in the house, as well as had um, moisture-loving uh, molds growing on trash in a bathroom above that ceiling. That was the only proof we had, and it was very little proof. But because I know how important it was, we found a huge amount of stachybotrys. In fact, he's going back again to get another piece of the stachybotrys that wasn't found the first time in another part of the house. So um, you really have to have a high index of suspicion, and you can't be frightened to say open up an area to really see if there's a problem behind it. You need adequate visualization of all spaces to really say that there's no mold there. Now, Bill, I know you're too modest to uh, to actually talk about this, but I know for a fact because, and just full disclosure again, we're friends, we do work together, so I know you pretty well now. I also know that you have gone in behind other contractors, other people who have gone into buildings, uh, homes to clean mold, and uh, the jobs were done inadequately, and you have been called in behind them to fix the problem. You have also been called as an expert witness quite a number of occasions now uh, to discuss mold issues in a courtroom so you could, you know, help support what was being discussed there. And I give you a lot of credit because your original background, you were a police officer for a number of years. Yeah. You've got, yeah. You are self-educated on, it's amazing to me. Plus, he was also a school teacher, people. So it's like an amazing background with Bill. But, Bill, what do you see out here, and I'm going to say in our specific area, I'm going to stay in the Philadelphia area, the tri-state area, are we just more susceptible to mold here? Um, <clears throat> that's going to be a yes and no answer. Okay. Um, again, if your environment is, is constructed correctly, then it's not going to be any different than any other part of the country. Uh, some people think if you move to the desert, you're not going to have a mold issue. My parents lived in the high desert in Colorado, and they had a huge mold issue in the crawl space underneath their house. Uh, that doesn't really matter. It's the specific molds and the, the degree of moisture that they need and any other source that's available to them. Uh, I, don't think we're any, I don't think we're any more susceptible here than anybody else, except that we do have these very hot, humid summers. And if your house isn't constructed properly and you're not moving the air adequately, you can end up with mold growth. And we see it very often now in bank-owned properties because of the 2009 financial crisis. And I have never walked into a, a what's known as an REO, a bank-owned property, that had been vacant for six months or more that didn't have a mold issue. Because stagnant air in there, along with the moisture that's in the ambient air, is enough for some molds to begin to amplify. And the structure will absorb it and hold it. 
so that the mold has a ready supply of moisture uh, almost year-round and you can end up not to mention the fact they forget they fail to properly winterize and so pipes burst yeah, there's a lot of stuff there on that we're gonna take another break we're gonna come back and Bill I'll start with you again on some more technical stuff then I'm gonna bring it back to the doctor on the approach on how to help people uh, who have been exposed and who are, who are toxic at you know at that given moment. You are listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. My special guest today, Dr. Ann Corson and Bill Young from Moldemore. We'll be right back. So what is wrong Welcome back to Life on Edit. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guests are Dr. Ann Corson. She is a general practitioner doctor here in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania, but she is also an expert on mold, mold disorders, mold toxicity. My other guest, a reoccurring guest at this point, Bill Young from Mold and More, and we are going maybe a little deeper than we did with Shoemaker on some issues last year, Dr. Shoemaker, on mold toxicity. Now, well, first, let me go back to Bill. Bill, Bill, I also want you to give your contact information, please. Uh, yeah, we're, uh, it's Mold and More Decontamination. The website is uh, www.mold, and as in Nancy, M-O-R-E-D-E-C-O-N.com. Dr. Corson, curious about this. Do you see any books in your future by any chance? Oh, yeah, in my next life. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I, I would love to. It's just a, a question of having the time. Um, but I certainly love to teach and will be teaching. And, you know, it, there's a lot more teaching in my future and probably therefore books. Well, Bill and I were discussing this, and this is something I find fascinating. We're going to get into this. I find the mold itself fascinating, but how do you counterbalance it? Because I'm a kind of like a health nut, vitamin freak, the whole bit there. What is the course of your treatment when you bring someone in, let's go with an adult first, then I want to see what you would, you know, how you handle a child coming in. But are you using a mixture of, as we'll say, Western medication and then holistic? Or, or are you just going by, hey, he comes in, I see the symptoms, this is what I'm going to try. Could you explain how you're handling it? Well, my treatment approach is uh, quite broad, and it's really based on concepts um, that originated in ancient Chinese medicine are Shan Han Lun, damage, uh, cold damage theories. Um, and they were adopted by the European um, physicians really over the last couple centuries. Um, and it's the whole basic concept is called German biological medicine, and it integrates the best of ancient medicines, the best of European traditions, herbal traditions from around the world, homeopathy, and even the um, energetic medicines. You know, the Germans were the first one that developed biofeedback machines that could measure the health of the meridian lines and the meridians in the body, which is the energy systems that move the chi that the Chinese uh, studied in their medicine. So I use a way of approaching the body that looks at, number one, you know, what's, uh, what are the external factors causing the disease? What are the imbalances? How do you first clear up the system, clean out the body, get the exit pathways open, then find out where tox trapped toxicity is in the body, uh, remove that, uh, help the immune system regain balance, you know, heal the uh, digestive system, um, you know, uh, give the proper nutrition to the body, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a very sort of broad way that I look at people. So if somebody comes into me and they're very ill, 
the first thing number one to do is to, to try to get a history and then I figure out what I think the problems are. And then I start dealing with the toxins and the infections and structural problems I refer out, um, start to downregulate uh, allergy in the gut, et cetera, et cetera, and fix all the, the genetic, not that I can't fix genetic, but I can help fix dysfunctional metabolic processes. You must get people out of mold or they will not get better. It's very typical in a patient who is in mold but denies any possible problem to me on the initial visit is when they start taking my treatment, they will get worse, but they won't get better. They just get worse, and they go into what's called a Herxheimer, and then they just continue to uh, be down. They don't come up out of that. And that's almost diagnostic for that they're still in an environment where they are getting oncoming, incoming biological toxins. So first you remove them from the toxic environment, then you have to remove the toxins from the body. And in most people who are genetically susceptible, the only way to really do that is to move them out through binding them in the stool, uh, sweating them out, um, and there is some degree of, of urinating them out. Um, and then you need to reduce the inflammatory cytokines, and you can block that with natural ways as well as medicine. And then you start uh, making sure that their exit pathways are open, that their kidneys are encumbered with a lot of toxins and plastics and heavy metals, and you have to then make sure their liver's functioning right. And they must clean up their diet. They must, the diet's a whole nother show. <laughs> That's okay. We um, can do that show. Don't worry about it. Do that show. Yeah, let's do <laughs> yeah. the diet show. Um, <laughs> they really must have a completely organic diet, uh, free of processed foods, free of genetically modified foods, free of plastics and only have uh, meat that comes from fully grass-fed animals and only wild-caught fish. So it's very important that they need to really make significant changes in their lifestyle, in their diet. Sometimes they need to leave their homes. I had a family one time. I came in. I saw the oldest child as the index patient before I saw the rest of the family. And after the visit, I said, you know, this is a mold kid. I mean, you've got a mold problem. You just, you know, it's, if it looks like your grandmother, it's your grandmother. You know, this is mold. <laughs> and that night, they left their home and never went back. And their home was in, completely engulfed in mold. So um, some people get it. And the faster people get it, the faster they get better. Even incredibly sick patients, if they get out of mold, Within 12 to 18 months, I can get them back to work and functional and incredibly better. But they will not get better as long as they continue to live, work, or go to school in a moldy place. Now, Bill, I'm curious with you. Now, when you come across a home or a building, in particular homes, especially some of the high-end homes we have around here uh, that have used stucco, which I've learned from you is like the big nasty no-no because the mold can get stuck behind the stucco and then take on a life of its own. When you're finally on the scene and you're able to point out to the people, look, you're in a mold-contaminated environment, you're in trouble. What's the reaction? Are they happy there's finally an answer to the problem, or is there a fear? Because let's face it out of here. Insurance really is no help, correct? That's the, one of the things they write off. In most cases, insurance isn't much help. Uh, some insurance companies who we've run into do still do things if you have some environmental breakdown, your water heater bursts or pipe bursts, some mechanical failure, the insurance company may come through and say, well, we'll cover X number of dollars for your remediation. But for most people, that also includes any housing outside of the residence, and you can eat $5,000 worth of uh, benefit very quickly if you're staying in a hotel. 
doesn't take long for it to go away. Um, the reactions are mixed, and it's like Dr. Corson said, uh, when they get it, they get it. But until they get it, and you may have, and we've had this happen, where one spouse doesn't se seem to think that they're being bothered at all. This is another thing that, that um, to me, a lot of us think, I'm not being bothered, but our systems are fairly redundant. We can t handle these insults, and the system will find a way to work around it, the discomfort we attach to something else. I'm getting older, it's what I ate last night, I ate, drank too much, whatever it might be. Um, but we'll, we will get where one spouse will say, I'm not going to put up money for a remediation because I think it's all in your head. Uh, and yet it's visible. But uh, Doctor, I'm going to flip back to you now. Is there any way to show that a human's body has become toxic uh, to the mold itself? Is there a blood test that you can do that would show the toxicity you know, inside the body? Yeah, that's what we, we discussed earlier. Yeah. There are blood tests that show inflammatory cytokines that are typical uh, with mold exposure, as well as finding the mold toxins in the urine. Now, that seems important to me, Bill, and especially you know, with, not with, uh, with Dr. Corson, in being able to show an individual or a spouse or a school district or you know, whoever needs to see that the, the body of this individual has become toxic, and this, this is why, but there still seems to be, let's take a jump up now, politics involved. Uh, seems like our politicians really don't want to identify this as a problem, as a major problem. Uh, seems to me that money talks more than saving lives. And I'll give an example. I was at Hurricane Sandy a few years ago down on, you know, with us here on the East Coast. There were still a lot of homes on the Jersey Shore that are either abandoned or half lived in or whatever that have major mold problems. Yeah, in fact, I just read a report that was done uh, evaluating the ambient air. I think it was on Long Beach Island. <laughs> Great. That's where I grew up at, <laughs> yeah, so go ahead. Uh, it was actually measuring the ambient air and taking a look at samples that they had taken pre-Sandy. And because of poor remediation techniques and the fact that people took debris and just threw it outside and all these other things, and this happened with Katrina in New Orleans as well, uh, they're coming back with elevated levels of mold spores in the ambient air. Uh, so that's another reason to do a good job when you're remediating. We contain things, we wrap it in plastic, we put it in plastic bags, we seal those bags so that you're getting less in the environment. Uh, and we can go into a lot of other things too, but even in Amish country, um, some of the Amish farmers use Roundup to control their, their weeds. The difficulty with Roundup and, and chemicals like that is that they actually create a breeding ground for for fusarium mold at the root base for many of the plants. Well, then they come through and they cut down their crop and they plow the field and they disc it and do all the stuff they have to do. A lot of that goes airborne and within that dust you have a lot of fusarium mold spores. So we, we see elevated levels of fusarium in rural agricultural areas, uh, which is kind of interesting and, it, and it's quite problematic for anybody who's exposed to it. Doctor, I would uh, like to go also ahead. add, go ahead, add please. to that. I live on a um, beautiful um, farm out in Chester County. I rent a farmhouse on a huge uh, land that is cultivated uh, with uh, genetically modified food, which most of what we grow in Chester County is. It's uh, genetically modified wheat, soybean, and corn. Well, this was the first year they grew not animal feed corn, but human 
genetically modified corn. And um, most of the ears before they went to harvest had been blackened on the tips with a funky-looking mold, and I didn't know what it was. Uh, and I just learned from Bill about that. I didn't know about that. That's fascinating. Um, and they do spray Roundup on not only you know on the ground here, but of course the crops are Roundup ready. So that's really shifted the soil in our whole agricultural region because the vast majority of the agriculture in this country, the large agriculture, is genetically modified. And so that means we're changing the composition of all of our soils. And then that means that this is going to become an even greater problem uh, over time for all of the community. Um, and it also, the increase in the amount of mold uh, really not due to people changing, it's due to the environment changing. Not only changing in soil, but the changing in building materials. Um, building materials, you know, such as uh, drywall and particle board uh, and some insulation uh, and the hermetically sealing of homes really breed mold. Um, oh. And it's difficult to clean. And you can have a brand new house that costs you $650,000. But if it got wet during construction, and then they put a uh, Tyvek seal over it, and then you have moisture inside the home that can't get out, then you can be growing mold behind your drywall throughout the entire structure of the building. That's exactly why, after we come back from this uh, last break and get into the last segment, I want to get into the construction, how things have changed, what you look for, Bill, what the doctor sees coming at her, this is a great combination between the two of you, because I get all my questions answered right here. <laughs> You're listening to Life on Eddie. I'm your host, John Aberly. We'll be back in a few moments. Welcome back to Life on Eddie. I'm your host, John Aberly. Final segment of the show. I've got their dot yeah, I've got Dr. Ann Corson on with me. She's a general practitioner out of Kennett Square. Pennsylvania, but she is also an expert on mold, mold toxicity, mold conditions. Doctor, real quick, and again, I know, unfortunately, it's a year, year and a half wait for a new patient to come in and see you, but could you give us your contact information anyway? And a quick question, do you see a website in the future, maybe? I would love to, because then I could put a lot of educational information on it. It's just, you know, finding someone that can do that for me, uh, have the time to sit down to do it, and at a reasonable cost, that's all. I got I an like idea. I got an idea, and I'll talk to Bill about it, because I think this could be interesting. But, but please, again, your contact information. Um, my office is at 404 McFarland Road in Kennett Square, and the office phone number is 610 444-8901. Curious as well, I know that you're busy, but I'm very curious on this. Are you open for consulting? Coming in, uh, working, maybe doing expert uh, types of uh, witness work or just consulting for companies? Well, I try to avoid um, doing the uh, courtroom stuff. I will write letters. Uh, for my patients when they have problems, uh, but I prefer not taking the time to testify. Um, it, it just isn't worth my while. I'd rather be taking care of patients. Understand, and I think that's tremendous. I definitely tremendous. understand that. I get that. Bill, <laughs> you know, Bill knows, and I know he's been uh, stuck in some of those cases. 
Bill, Bill Young, Mold and Moore here in Exton, Pennsylvania, expert on mold removal, the use of easy decon as its primary weapon. Uh, anyone wants to find out more about that, go to my podcast site, podomatic.com, and you will find a couple shows based on that. But, Bill, your contact information, too, please. It's uh, Mold and Moore Decon. Uh, the website is www.moldn as in Nancy, M O R E D E C O N.com. I'm going to throw it out to Bill first, and I think the doctor can come uh, on her side of it because it kind of goes together. Bill, on construction, uh, new home construction in particular, the use of, uh, God, I'm drawing a blank there on, uh, help me here. Uh, you've got, you've got all kinds of engineered lumber yeah. that goes into structures. Um, the American home building is generally the... Uh, the main thrust is the highest grade, of, the highest amount of profit with the least amount of cost going into it. Um, and I'm not trying to denigrate builders. That's what we've been doing. And we build our houses out of wooden paper, which is asking for mold. Those are two things that provide exactly what the mold is looking for. And I always tell people that mold is actually a lot like people. It's pretty lazy. <laughs> so whatever is more digested for it so that it can get to it faster and easier, that's what it's going to go for. So that's why drywall is such a problem. I got to be honest. Now, this is a weird thing. Uh, a couple years ago, I don't know what my wife did. Something happened out in our garage, and a strip of mold went up the drywall. Uh, I was like, "Wow!" And I had already known you at this point. I was like, <laughs> "I don't think Bill's going to like this if I call him." But it, how quickly it happened, and I guess that's the next question. You have a flood uh, in your basement. And let's say it's partially finished or whatever, and you told me the biggest mistake is having carpet yeah, in your I basement. Yeah, I wouldn't put carpet in a basement. I'm stuck now. I don't have a choice. It's there. But what are we looking at in time frame? How quickly is mold going to form even in, say, a half an inch of water? And I'm able to get it up and get it out of there. The, the difficulty is that the paper absorbs the moisture. So if it's, if it's hitting drywall then the paper will absorb it and it'll almost go into a capillary action kind of situation where you know how you dip a corner of a paper towel yeah. into a bit of water and then all of a sudden a large portion of the paper towel is wet. It just gets wicked right up into it. Um, that's really part of the problem. So if you do have that kind of flooding, I would, number one, you do have to get the water out of there. Uh, you try and dry it out, use dehumidifiers and fans. But if you have any question at all, drywall is pretty cheap. Uh, cut it out and replace it. Uh, yeah, that's one of the things uh, if a basement expert comes in and you've had that issue, they tell you. Now, what about the old standby? Everyone goes, well, I got bleach. And they run around, they're dumping bleach, they're spraying bleach, they're rubbing bleach. It's a bleach festival. What am I looking at? Is bleach going to do me any good here? Uh, the, the bleach is not going to do any good. Um, number one, we've been doing bad remediation techniques for so long that we've actually created... Uh, I don't want to say super molds, but the molds have adapted. They, they evolve much more quickly than we do. Uh, I had a realtor a few years ago who had a house during the summer. A little mold showed up on the drywall. He had a little spray bottle of Clorox, and he sprayed it. And he ended that summer, he was chasing that mold around the house. Every time he would knock it down in one area, it would show up someplace else. Um, bleach doesn't work unless it's at or above 6% uh, hypochlorite. It's not actually a disinfectant until it gets to... 6% hypochlorite, and you have no way of verifying 
the bleach that you buy, what the level of hypochlorite is in it. That's not on the... Oh, it'll tell you that it's 3 to 5%, or it may say 6%. That's what it was when it was manufactured. But it's been sitting on a shelf in a so warehouse, then it goes on the back of a truck, then it gets transported through hot and cold weather, then it's put on a shelf in the grocery store or wherever you buy it. And by the time you get it, it may be down to 3%. It smells just as bad, and it's as, much, it's as corrosive, but it's not doing the job in terms of, of killing the, the mold. Uh, and that's one of the reasons that Easy Decon is, is so important. It does it so quickly that the mold doesn't have the opportunity. We eradicate it completely so that it doesn't have an opportunity to, um, to adapt or evolve. Uh, but I always caution against using bleach. It's um, a very toxic chemical. And uh, if you use it in close in like a close quarters, you can make yourself really dizzy. You, you can. I've you done can. that. <laughs> I yeah. made myself, you know, pretty dizzy there. Yeah. I, I ask my patient to use borax because borax will yeah. is pretty cheap, and they can wash their clothes in that, and they can use dilute solutions of it. Um, and uh, you know, it uh, kills mold spores as well as kills mold. So that's something that they can use. Uh, I know some people use vinegar, but I prefer that. And then you really need to use the good chemicals, uh, that, such as the ones that Bill uses, in order to really eradicate the mold. And the other most important thing is to keep the moisture content down. I tell my folks That's to key. keep their living space at 40% if possible, because Humidity. at least set wow. their dehumidifiers at 40%, because any mold can grow, not any mold, but a lot of mold can grow over 50. Uh, the aspergillus penicillium, you know, uh, 50 to 80%, and over 80%, of course, you get all of the real bad boys, like the stachyon and trichoderma and some of the others. Um, so it's important to keep your space not only clean and clean frequently uh, and keep the dust up, but also to keep the humidity down. Absolutely. Well, here's something I just thought of, and I'm curious about this. A car. Now, we had this huge, you know, Sandy caused a lot of damage up here in the Northeast, in particular uh, the Jersey Shore, especially central New Jersey. A lot of cars got flooded. Now, some of them will end up in the used car lots. That's just the way it goes. People find a way to scam another person. They do it. What about a car having mold? Uh, oh, yes. Oh, uh, yes. There oh, we yes. go. So... Yeah. That would be, if I had the car tested, that would tell me it's been in a flood. I don't think, you know, someone spilling McDonald's Coca-Cola is going to cause this problem. So there's ways to tell, and it must be interesting because you would never, I would not have thought about it before this moment, that I could be driving in a moldy car to and from work and whatever, which could cause me to become very sick. Your, your car can become contaminated just by transporting things that are moldy. The spores drop off onto the carpeting. Uh, you walk in sh shoes over areas that have mold spores and then put that on the you know, carpets. And then you have moisture that the car is outside. Uh, it can have increased moisture content in it. Um, also, if your uh, car takes any water on just by driving in you know, you know, wet road conditions or going through puddles, you can also become moist. And then you know, the HVAC systems in cars get contaminated. And they're very difficult to clean. I would like to hear Bill's view on how to go about cleaning automobiles yeah, Bill, properly. Are you bathing it in easy decon here? Is that, are we putting it in the tub? I mean, how are you going to do this? Uh, actually, we have done a few cars because we've had people who had real problems in their homes. 
And then they suddenly, what happened was they started to feel better, and then, all, then when they started going out, they drove their car. Did they transport on their clothes and so forth into the car, you think? Uh, no. In those cases, I think part of it was that the cars were parked outside, okay. not in a, any kind of climate-controlled situation, mm -hmm. and they got damp enough. Maybe something got spilled. Maybe it's wintertime, and you're kicking your, the snow off your boots onto the carpet. Uh, that's all going to put moisture in there, and that moisture it will evaporate, and it spends time in that space. Usually what we find, though, is that it's actually in the ductwork, and it's from the air conditioning, and you know how you get condensation in your air conditioning at certain times. Well, that, the little drain opening will get clogged because you're driving through things and debris gets up there, and it ends up backing up moisture into the car, and when people get in their car, they start it up, turn on the air conditioner, and all of a sudden they feel bad again. You know, you got a point there because I can see it blowing on you. Yeah. And you're, and this is happening. And the interesting part of it is, it doesn't matter if it's a high-end car or a beater you took off no, the lot. Equal opportunity destroyer, no question about that. Yeah, that's where people's cars are moldy is the HVAC system. Yeah. And what we can do is we actually will will fog the Easy Decon into the system and put it on the uh, recirculating portion of your air conditioning, so it's actually. Uh, just circulating the air inside the car. You're not pulling in fresh air from the outside. When you when you turn your air conditioning up and you put it up to that, I, I'm drawing a blank on the term for yeah, it, but yeah. um, that just recirculates the air inside the car, and then the the, uh, the easy decon will get in on the on the ductwork on the inside. It's pretty hard to clean that ductwork because it's really small and very hard to reach without tearing an entire dashboard out. We have had good luck with that in the in the occasions where it was one of the offending locations was the car. we got to touch that's on that later. Excellent. That's yeah. really excellent. The other thing that always is a pet peeve of mine is when people have HVAC systems in, in their homes where the air conditioning unit has been put into the attic. Yeah, I have seen more homes destroyed because of that. Drawing in, we've talked about the HVAC stuff, how that should be cleaned before. Yeah, and well, the other thing, privately. too, is the, the condensate problem with the HVAC system. If you don't have the right pan underneath your, and it doesn't drain properly up in, the, up in the attic, you can end up with a great deal of mold growth on your drywall ceiling because the moisture in the, the condensate off of the air conditioning unit ends up going down and hitting the insulation, soaking the insulation. You're not getting marks on the ceiling like you've got a water leak, but you've got plenty of moisture there, and the drywall is perfect food source. Doctor, real quick, I think I've got about 45 seconds left, and I wanted to, it's kind of a personal question. What you do is tremendous uh, to take an issue on like this, to develop the, the ways to heal the body, to, to really help people. How do you feel with yourself on this? I mean, is this something that just is very gratifying for you as well? Well, it's just sort of the path my uh, life took me into. <laughs> I first uh, learned about the devastation of uh, chronic tick-borne diseases and then uh, chronic uh, mold exposure. And there's so many people suffering. And I strive in my life to try to uh, live by the truth and live by being compassionate to others and trying to help them forbear the illnesses and the, tri uh, the trials that they have to go through in life. Excellent. Dr. Ann Corson, expert in mold, mold toxicity, mold disorders. Bill Young, my other guest, my reoccurring guest, it seems to be at times. He is the founder of Mold and More in Exton, Pennsylvania. I want to thank both of you for coming on today, taking this in a different direction for my audience.
You have been listening to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. I will be back next week.